coming up. Dame gets traded. Million dollar pick. Seth Myers. It's all next. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps Assistant and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Protect what matters to you and get a Simply Safe home security system. It helps keep your whole home safe and all the loved ones who live there. Uh, think about, well, summer's coming up, what, in a couple months? Everyone goes away for the summer. You know who knows that? The burglars. You know who knows that you might be gone on Easter if all your cars are gone and that you probably went to somebody's house? The burglars. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. Simplysafe.com slash BS. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where I put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. We did the big chill. It was very, very exciting. I have Kyle Brandt coming on Monday's podcast. I'm just going to tell you the movie now because it is going to be the best moment of your weekend if you spend two hours watching this classic. We're doing Toy Soldiers. It really brings everything possible to the table. So if you want to watch it ahead of time, there it is. That podcast is going up Monday night. Uh, if you want to hear stuff about the debate, we have Tara Paul Mary's podcast, Somebody's Got to Win. That reacted to it, as well as the press box with Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker. So there you go. Our debate coverage has been on point. Also, higher learning. Van and Rachel had Larry Elder on this week, and uh, it made a lot of noise, man. That podcast is great. I hope you check that out as well. I hope you're checking out TheRinger.com. And on this podcast, going to talk about the Dame trade at the top. We're going to bring in Ben Thompson from the Strategy newsletter, which uh, he has been on this podcast, I think, four weeks ago. And he's a huge Bucks fan. He's going to give the Bucks fan side of things. We're going to do million dollar picks. And then old friend Seth Myers talking about a whole bunch of stuff. So really good podcast. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, I'm taping this on Thursday afternoon. Normally when there's a big NBA trade, I always do the emergency trade reaction right after the podcast. But we just put up a podcast on Tuesday, so I decided to play it a little differently this time. Want a little distance, want to listen to stuff, read stuff, and try to form some big picture opinions coming out of this. So I have four smaller ones, then one big one. First one, I thought Portland did an incredible job with this trade. I really like this trade, especially everyone's trying to bully them in June and July about, oh, you got to take Miami's offer. You just got to, it's where he wants to go. It's the only offer you're going to get. And guess what? They waited, they played it perfectly. They stared Miami down and they got a much better deal. First of all, they get the Drew Holiday piece that they can flip into a bunch of other stuff, which we'll talk about in one second. 
Um, I love the DeAndre Ayton gamble. As you know, on this podcast, I am a big DeAndre Ayton guy. Not in the sense of I'm the biggest fan of his in the world, but I'm a fan of the asset. I just think I love the valued assets, no matter what it is, whatever whatever market we're talking about. DeAndre in 18 and 10 for his career, 60% field goals uh, percentage, 25 years old. He's played in 45 playoff games. He played four rounds in the 2021 finals. Last year, he got his ass kicked by uh, Jokic. Oh, sorry. Like that never happens. And Phoenix just, just sold on him, which I can't wait to talk about. But just from a Portland standpoint, they not only get Aiton and whatever they get for Holiday, they get the 29 first, they get the two swaps, and they dump Nurkic. Nurkic hasn't had a healthy start to finish all the way through the playoffs here since 2018, which I'm positive was a long time ago. He's basically 12 and 8. He's, you know, a 50% shooter. I made a list of the top 30 centers. I encourage you to do this at home because what's more fun than making lists of NBA centers? I can't imagine anything. I made a list of who I thought were the best assets of the center position for talent, contract, everything. He was 29th on my list. The only person I had ahead of him who's technically a starter, unless you start talking about the Detroit or Charlotte guys, was uh, Zubats on the Clippers. I thought he was the 29th best center asset in the league. And Phoenix, you know, just quickly to go to them, they're, they're trying to win this year. They got worse. They turned Aiton's money into Nurkic and Grayson Allen and Nasir Little. Grayson Allen, we already know with him, he can't play in playoff series. We saw him in 22. We saw it last year. I, I heard and read in some places like they got two rotation players. Did they? Is Nurkic a playoff rotation player? Is Grayson Allen a playoff rotation player? Because I'm positive he's not. So for the same money that they were spending on eight, and they got three guys that I don't think are going to help them. Uh, in 25, the, the money comes down a little bit to 23 million just for Nurkic and Little, which is 7 million less than eight. And then in 26, that money goes up to 25.5. But I don't understand what Phoenix was doing. Why not wait? to see if Aiton clicks with Vogel. Vogel has such a good history with centers. He rejuvenated Dwight Howard on the 2020 Lakers. He basically created Roy Hibbert's career in 2013 with the defense verticality thing. I thought he was going to do a good job with Aiton. I'm stunned that they gave up on him. I'm almost waiting for one of those now they tell us stories when, uh, when you know, that's where Brian Curtis calls them where like a week after something happens, there's this kind of notebook dump where it's like, here's, Seven terrible DeAndre Ayton stories. So maybe that'll happen. But um, for Phoenix just to be like, cool, we, we locked this down, man. We got Nurkic. You're trying to win the title. You have KD and Booker and Beal. And like, what are you guys doing? Anyway, uh, from Portland's standpoint, uh, I love the Ayton thing. I love that they didn't get bullied. And I, I know they're going to turn Drew Holiday into something. So this, to me, was at least an A- minus for them for where they were two months ago where Dame's like, I want to go to Miami. That's it. And if you don't trade me there, that's kind of fucked up. And they made this work as it got reported that uh, I think in the athletic that he expanded his list to Brooklyn and to Milwaukee in the last two weeks. And that's what Portland was waiting on. You know, they were banking on the fact that he's a competitive dude. He's one of the best 75 players ever. He wanted a situation settled. So, you know, you wait, you wait, you wait, they expand the list and then you go. Uh, there's a Drew Holiday piece to this. That's awesome. He becomes a contender prize. I wouldn't call this a Drew Holiday sweepstakes. I reserve sweepstakes for the superstars, but it's a mini sweepstakes. This is somebody that could have a huge impact on the playoff race. You know, not only the the usual suspects, everybody's talking about Boston. Ironically, Miami is a really good fit for him. And, and in some ways, um, 
I'm a little more scared of them with Miami than Dame in some ways, especially at a much cheaper contract with giving up less and keeping some of their assets. Philly, if they could pull it off, they have to be in there. And Golden State and Minnesota, I think I have to mention. Sacramento, I think, is a team that if they could figure out how to get Drew without giving up their core, which is basically Keegan Murray and Sabonis and Fox, like that's, you know, could Davion Mitchell be in that trade with some, with a salary and some picks? Who knows? The team that I love for Drew Holiday is OKC. I have OKC. You know, I started doing my NBA research for the over-unders pod, and um, I haven't landed on a number for them yet, but to me, they feel like a high 40s team with Chet and with the growth of their young guys. And if you just, like, let's say they traded Lou Dort and a bunch of their picks, maybe two firsts and two of their lesser picks or three firsts and a second, whatever it is, and they just say, fuck it, and they get Drew, and you put him with Giddy and SGA and Jalen fucking Awesome Williams and Chet Holmgren and all these other dudes they have, that might be a top three team in the West. I mean, that that's starting to give me some early 2010s OKC vibes. So where he goes is going to be important. I, I just feel like there was so much Drew Holiday slander the last couple of days. You know, he's one of my favorite players. Even Haralabob, who was the chairman of the board of the Drew Holiday fan club for years and would have the uh, the benefit dinners there and, you know, just did a lot of, lot of yeoman's work on that front. And even he was like, yeah, yeah, Dame's better than Drew. That trade makes sense for Milwaukee. I was hurt for Alibub. I, uh, I, I was 100% hurt by that. But, you know, Drew got his ass kicked by Jimmy Butler in the playoffs last year. I get it. It happens. Jimmy was unbelievable. I feel like he would have kicked anybody's ass. And by the way, why is Drew Holiday guarding Jimmy Butler? That speaks more to some of the issues with Milwaukee. Um, he was never supposed to be a point guard and a creator. I think he was always better as an off-the-ball guy. We saw that with with Rondo and New Orleans and just in general. I want to see him with a point guard. I want to see him just being unleashed, not having the ball a lot, just worrying about hitting threes, being an occasional, you know, uh, make shit happen guy and being like the third or fourth best guy on a team without having the offensive responsibility to have. All their half-court issues got blamed on him for the last couple of years. And I get it. They weren't like an awesome half court team, even the year they won the finals. But I really value that dude. I had him, even I did the trade value list in August and I had him 37th and I had Dame 23rd. I think he's one of the best 30 players in the league still. Um, he's 33 years old, which, you know, I'm going to talk in a second about when guards hit their mid thirties, but, um, just in general, I think he's a real asset. And it, like, if he goes to a team like the Celtics and they can keep Derek White and Tatum and Brown in the centers, like, look out, man. So little mini sweepstakes. Rarely do we get the trade, but then we still get another asset to talk about. Thank you for everyone involved in the trade. And then uh, the fourth small point is just that, you know, not rocket science, Milwaukee bought some Giannis time here. They have one of the best 20 players of all time. They were staring down the barrel of a situation that was not good. I was talking about it on this podcast in late June and early July. Uh, I thought he was going to put them on the clock. I thought Mark Lazary selling his stake was a really bad sign for all of this because that dude is smart, as I laid out in June. Um, that guy is really smart. And if he's feeling like, you know what, it's time for me to sell my buck stock, that makes me nervous. And then all the stuff that Giannis said and did, which I thought he did really fairly, and really smartly, and I think that dude's about titles, and that's it. And I know we say that about players, but I think in in his case, I don't think he cares about, you know, what's my legacy? Who? How do I compare against Dirk Nowitzki? Any of that stuff. I just think he wants more rings. When you think about the guys who have won two rings, 
out of the best 35 guys on my list on my pyramid. MJ, LeBron, Russell Wilt, Bird Magic, Duncan Wilt, Curry, Kobe, Hakeem, Shaq, Katie, and Hondo, Doc and Kuzi, Isaiah Wade, Pippen, Bill Walton. Those are all guys in my top 35 that won multiple wings. You go to the one ring side, Jerry West, Oscar, Moses, Dirk, Jokic, Giannis, Pettit, Garnett, Kawhi, Rick Barry. That's the list he's on now. I certainly don't think he's looking at that list going, I got to get away from these guys, but it's a slightly different list. I, I think when you win multiple rings in multiple situations, it elevates you in a, in a certain way. I think he fundamentally understands that at least a little bit. Like I want to be the best player since LeBron James. I think that's a thing that he wants. How am I going to do that? I need more rings. I need more finals trips. And he knew from last year and maybe even the Boston series that they just weren't good enough. And whether this trade is going to be the thing that propels them, we'll find out. But he's been in the league 10 years, two MVPs, five first teams, two second teams. And now we have this little two-year window. So Kawhi and the Raptors was a one-year window. This is a two-year window, I feel like. Uh, with Giannis, he's got two years left in his deal. So does Lopez. Middleton has two and a player option. Dame's got two. And then this crazy $120 million player option extension thingy that he has that uh, just keeps going and going. Um, it's probably two years. There's a world where this could go terribly this season, at least for what the expectations are. And then maybe it becomes Kawhi Raptors. Maybe Giannis is like, you know what? That didn't work. Trade me. And the Bucks who have no picks left and no future, they look at it next summer and they go, all right, we tried it. Giannis, what can we get for you? Dame, what can we get? And they just do a reboot, rehaul. Remember, they won in 2021, which, which just puts takes so much pressure out of this. It's so much different than the Clippers situation where they went all in on Kawhi and Paul George. They give up all those picks and SGA and they've gotten nothing out of it. They haven't even made the finals. So. Um, so it's got to happen. I think they I, at least probably have to make the finals. Like if they get bounced in round two, do I think Giannis is going to stay because they made this Dame Miller trade? Probably not. So that leads to the big question is how good of a trade was this? So there's a big picture angle on Dame and it's going to sound negative and I really don't want it to sound negative because I think Dame, I voted for him for NBA top 75. I think he's been one of the best guards of the last 15 years. I think there's a ton of great things you can say, and there's a chance that he goes to Milwaukee and this thing is fucking awesome. I know like any Celtic fan I've talked to, including Isaiah, who's helping uh, produce this podcast today, the Giannis Dame pick and roll is just terrifying. It's other than Jokic and Murray, it's going to be the single most unstoppable offensive play in the league. It is. Um, we are conceding that point. The, the, the spot Dame is in right now, big picture wise, it's weird. He's a superstar, but he's not. And we've seen guys like this before. I judge superstars by, do you have the resume statistically? And is your team succeeding consistently at a certain level, right? You can't totally say that about Dame. Like he's never been on a 55 win team. He's missed the playoffs completely four times in 11 years. He said three first round exits. He made the final four once in 2019, which was really lucky because Golden State and Houston were the two best teams. And then they got smoked. He's never been on a true contender ever. 
And instinctively you go, well, that's not his fault. Who's he played with? Well, he played with Lamarcus Aldridge and CJ McCollum and a couple other guys, but not really anybody. But um, the reason I bring this up is there's a success element that he has not had yet that for somebody with his resume is actually kind of unusual, right? So I, I went and I looked up um, how many guards in the history of the league averaged 22 points a game for their career and played at least 700 games. And I thought the list would be like 20. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was walking into. Only, I think, 75 guys have averaged 22 a game. Um, so I went and I, and I looked up the list, and it was 10 guys, 700 games, 22 a game for their career. There were some guys who came close, like David Thompson, who I think is one of the best guards I've seen in the last 45 years, um, but had a short career and had some drug issues. He didn't make it. He didn't play enough games. Pete Maravich, 24.2 points a game, but he didn't play enough games. Kyrie hasn't played enough games yet. Bradley Beal hasn't, is five games away. I'm actually kind of glad the cutoff's at 700, so we don't have to talk about him. And then uh, Mitchell and Trey Young aren't there yet. There's only 10 guys that made it. And the 10 guys are all fucking awesome. And again, I mentioned this in the concept of Dame, the context of Dame, who we think he is versus the success he's had. So the 10 guys, Michael Jordan, 30.1, Jerry West, 27.1, Allen Iverson, 26.7, George Gervin, 26.2, Oscar Robertson, 25.7, Kobe, 25.0, Harden, 24.7, Curry, 24.6, Wade, 22, barely made it, and Russ, 22.4, and then Dame is at 25 again. All right, what does he not have that those other guys have? Well, MJ... Don't need to talk about him. Don't need to talk about Jerry West, who's the freaking logo. Allen Iverson, pretty good comparison, right? Uh, big stats, really memorable player, but not a ton of success. Here's the difference. Iverson made the finals once. He won an MVP. Damon has done neither of those things. George Gervin was the best scoring guard of the 70s. He made two Final Fours. He had some bad luck. Like He really, in 79, really should have you know, came close and some of it's on him, right? right? He could have come through. Bobby Dandridge is the one that ended up coming through for the bullets. They lose, but you know, two final fours, he had four top five MVP finishes, five first teams, four second teams. He was just unassailably the best guard in the league until MJ. Um, Oscar Robertson, don't need to go through him, but he won a ring and an MVP. Kobe, five rings and an MVP, 11 first teams for Kobe, by the way. James Harden, Three Final Fours, an MVP, six top five MVP finishes, six first-team All-NBAs. And even though Harden has never made the finals as the best guy, he made it with OKC as the sixth man, um, you could build a contender around Harden. We saw it. We haven't really seen it with Dame. I think that's a fair thing to bring up. Curry, four rings, two MVPs, you know the Curry thing. Dwayne Wade, three rings, two top five MVPs, two first teams, three second teams. His, he's more in, in the Dame waters a little bit, but he had the 2006 finals and he had, he was the second best guy with LeBron on those heat teams. And then Westbrook, who you would say, well, Dame had a better career than Westbrook. Did he? Westbrook made the finals in 2012. He was the second best guy in that team. Almost made the finals in 2016. He won an MVP. He had two first teams and five second teams. It's at least like a real argument. And I think when you look at Dame, he only had that one 2019 round three, got bounced. He's only had one top five MVP finish. He's only had one first team all NBA and four second team all NBAs. Really, really good top 75 career.
But the piece that's missing is, have you been on a really good team? Have you made a real run at it? Which is why, you know, I think this Milwaukee trade is so much fun. This is his real chance. I get nervous about a couple things with this trade. One is that, you know, if you look at the 33 and older guards who average 22 points a game in a season, um, Jordan did it twice. Curry did it twice. Still going. Kobe did it three times. Jerry West twice. Sam Jones once, Hal Greer once, that's the entire list. Now the NBA is different. We have more three-pointers now. Um, it's easier to score. Scoring is the easiest it's ever been. Guys can play at a longer age. So I'm not ruling out Dane being good for the next three years, but just pointing out history is saying, be a little nervous. In general with guards, like Chris Paul, we saw from age 35 to 36 to 37, like it just dropped. But that's two years older than Dane. Maybe it's fine. Um, I just worry about guards. I, I We have not a lot of instances with guards in their mid-30s of them either peaking as players or being able to sustain whatever success they had during their prime. It always starts to go down with really no exceptions, except for Steph Curry. He's the only non-exception. So if your case is Dame's as good as Steph Curry or Dame can be as, as potent as Steph Curry on a winning team, like, you know, Steph Curry's better than Dame, but I'm not going to argue that he couldn't do a lot of the stuff Dame, uh, Curry did in Golden State. Uh, the bigger issue for me, the age I'm definitely worried about. Dame has not been healthy the last couple of years, and we have not seen him play nine straight months at playoff basketball with a big bullseye on his back. Everybody coming after you, you're the best team. They, we haven't seen him do that ever, much less in the last couple of seasons. So can he stay up? Can he stay healthy? That's one thing. The defense with Dame just got kind of swept under the rug the last couple of days. And I, I don't really understand it because there's five categories of defensive player, I feel like. There's, there's excellent, there's good, there's average, there's not so good, and then there's bad. And I think Dame's a bad defender. I think the stats back it up. Like his defensive rating last year was 245 out of the guards. He's the 245th guard for defensive rating. You know, 117.4 individual defensive rating. It's 483 overall. Portland's team's always defensively. It was the Achilles heel for them, partly because of Dame, because he couldn't guard anybody. He's too small. And, you know, think about what we saw from the playoffs the last couple of years. I think about the 2020 bubble Celtics playoffs, not infrequently, because I think that team had a chance to potentially win a title. What happened? Everyone hunted Kemba Walker. It was hunting season. It was like, where is he? Got to get a switch. Got to get Kemba Walker guarding somebody who's bigger or got to beat him off the dribble. And it just became a hunt session with him. And basically, he got played out of the league. He's not in the league anymore. You know, we had this with Isaiah Thomas, too, in the mid-2010s. I think it's been an issue with Kyrie Irving. The Celtics certainly went at him in the playoff series with Brooklyn a couple years ago. Curry, you saw, who I think is a better defender than people give him credit for, but the Lakers, who were big and physical, and they went after him and really tried to wear him down. And he's a much better defender than Dame is. Jordan Poole is somebody that got hunted in playoff series recently. Chris Paul, obviously, is a big one. Jalen Brunson, remember, remember what the Heat did to him? Uh, uh, Mitchell, when he was on Utah, this was a huge issue. And then Trey Young, obviously. I, my fear with Dame is he's a DH. And I think in Portland, part of the reasons... 
he was able to put up the stats he did was because he wasn't playing defense, right? It was just how many points can I score? My team isn't very good and I'm just going to do my thing. He's an incredible offensive player. But how much of a trade-off is the defense, right? Well, you think, all right, well, Milwaukee, they're really good defensively. They'll be able to protect him. Here's the team. Giannis, Dame, Lopez, Portis, Middleton, Connaughton, Bochamp, Crowder. Who's guarding Trey Young on this team? Who's guarding Jason Tatum? Here's a partial list of guys that I don't think this team will be able to guard this season. Devin Booker, Tatum, Butler, Trey Young, Kyrie, Curry. Who's going to be chasing Curry around the screens? Dame Lowered? Good luck. SGA, Luca, Mitchell, Murray, Edwards, Brunson, Ja, Garland, Fox, Halburn. Are they going to be able to cover Derek White? I don't know. The way this team is constructed, they are not going to have the ability to guard other guards at all, which means they're just going to have to be in a shooting match with them, right? It's, it's going to be not much different than what's going to happen with Phoenix, where they're just literally going to have to outscore the other team. I've just watched too much playoff basketball over the last couple of years, where it's like, if you have that weak link on defense and you're playing a team that's smart enough, they're going to go after that weak link. Like, think about them against the Lakers, right? The Lakers figure their crunch time. Let's say they make the finals. It's Milwaukee and the Lakers and Lakers crunch time. They're going to have LeBron and Davis and Austin Reeves and I don't know, a shooter and a point guard, whatever. All they're going to be doing is trying to find where Dame is on the court and going after him. What about when they play Boston? Boston puts out White and Brogdon and Tatum and Brown and a center. And all they're going to be doing is trying to make sure Dame is covering somebody who has the ball who's now torturing him. I think it's a real problem for them. And what's funny is they gave up Drew's defense and, you know, they, what they gave up on defense, which is significant, and they gained an offense, it might end up just being a wash. And they might just be a different version of the same team where they still have a huge flaw. It's just on the other end of the court. I'm just shocked that nobody brought up the defense. I agree he's an amazing offensive player. And what's cool about this trade and what I'm excited about as a basketball fan is can he go up a level, right? A lot of these stats he put up, especially the last couple of years, they didn't mean anything. They were, he was on bad teams. Like, who cares, ultimately? Bradley Beal scored 30 points a game on the Wizards. Who cares? I, I, I think most really good offensive players, if they're on a bad team, can get between 25 and 30 a night. Can you do it nine months in a row? Can you do it when you're getting hunted on defense all over the place? How much can Milwaukee protect him and what does he have in the tank at age 33 with 900 plus games on the odometer already? I'm still afraid of the Bucks, but people have, like FanDuel had them as no, you know, best odds in basketball. And I think most people feel like they're the favorite now. I don't feel like there's a favorite. I think you can go through every team. Boston, I could, I'm scared of Porzingis. What's going to happen with Jalen Brown now that he has contracts? Um, can Peyton Pritchard say... All these different things. Philly, God only knows. Miami, they're unquestionably worse. Yeah, Milwaukee's going to be really good, but depending where Holiday lands and how this all plays out, I just think it's still wide open. And the other piece, so if you're just talking Boston, Miami, Tatum kills Milwaukee. I have no idea why. Uh, Boston is is kind of built to at least stay with Dame. And you know, Derek White is about as good of a person you're going to have to try to keep Dame in check at least. Um, and Boston's done a really good job of guarding Giannis over the years. They don't have Grant Williams this year, but uh, I just don't think, 
I think there's as many ways this goes wrong as it goes right, I guess would be my final thought on this because for what they gave up, especially with that 29 unprotected and the two swaps and, you know, they are all in on this team. And you know, my theory, when you go all in on a team, you better think you can win. Not positive, but it's an awesome trade. It really is. It makes the league so much more fun. Dame and Giannis together. I'm going to enjoy watching Portland. I, I still have my eight in stock. Uh, watching Phoenix fans slowly realize that Nurkishna isn't the answer is going to be fun. And then we'll see where Drew Holiday goes. So really fun trade. We're going to talk about it a little bit more with a uh, diehard Bucks fan, Ben Thompson, in one second. Let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? This is something I've thought about a lot over the last 25 years. Sometimes little kids enter your life. Sometimes you're just searching for that extra hour. Sometimes it feels like all of a sudden it's three o'clock, four o'clock, and it's like, where'd the day go? I barely did anything. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority and therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month, 10%. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Bill Simmons. All right, we're taping this part of the podcast. It's Wednesday night because Ben Thompson is in a country far, far away. So the time zone difference basically makes it impossible for us to have a coordinate. So we're doing this Wednesday night. His favorite team, the Bucks, just traded for Damian Lillard. You were on this podcast, I think three, four weeks ago, we were talking about tech stuff and all kinds of things. And I did not at any point say, hey man, you think the Bucks are gonna get Damian Lillard? What was uh, your re- what was your reaction? You you asked me on that, was I worried about Giannis? And I quite confidently said, no, I'm not. And, uh, you know, it is a beautiful morning, Bill. I woke up, glanced at my phone, and have basically been preparing for this pod ever since. I was already very pumped up, very excited. Then I heard your little cameo on, on another Ringer pod saying you're not worried about it. Worse for the Celtics if Dame goes to Miami. Just amazing. Cope really got me pumped I up. I'm absolutely ready to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, after 
after I taped that, I started thinking about Giannis and Dame in a pick and roll. And then I was like, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> Giannis is the best role guy in the league. And he yeah. has never played with a good point guard. Like ever. Like I love Drew Holiday. God bless his soul. There's a reason why New Orleans got Rondo to play with him. Like he's, he's not a pure point guard. They, he's never played with someone that can pull like Dame. Yes, there's going to be a fall off on the off defensive side as far as guards go. The Bucks are going to score 160 points a game. It's not going to matter. Like we like All I've right. been Settle debating. Down. Come on, I've been Jesus. I've been debating for I've been arguing for years that Chris Middleton is actually a fantastic number two, and of course that's a debate that can rage far and wide on the internet. Uh, I'm very happy at the debate about Chris Middleton as one of the best number threes. That's for that's for sure. Is he still in the league? I, I forgot. Did he play in the playoffs? Was he out there? I can't remember. I mean, this is the other bit about your, your take. You're like, oh yeah, the Bucks <laughs> sucked against Miami last year. Yeah, no shit, because Giannis was hurt. I think that's I a pretty relevant fa factor. Uh, so yeah, how am I feeling? I'm feeling fantastic. And the, you know, the more we talk, the better I feel. I thought for what you gave up, you have to talk about the windows. It's funny because Waz and I talked on Tuesday's pod about how I thought Philly should go after Dame because they were on this window with Embiid where it's like, how many more years do we even know he's going to be an elite center physically? Is he going to hold up? I feel like Milwaukee is in the same boat with Giannis. I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but there's definitely a window. That was my take on the last pod. It's like, look, what, what Giannis does in a few years, I'm a Giannis fan and I fully recognize this is an old team that has basically no assets. Now they have zero assets and a drastically better opportunity to win in my estimation over the next couple of years. So that's great. I completely agree with your window take and the window has just gone from being open to being like setting a, a bit of dynamite in the wall and just blowing it, blowing it as open as can be. Vegas has this right. But here's the thing that window could be a year for all we know, like this might not work in a year. And Giannis is like, you know what? I still want to go. And they'll be able to trade both of those guys for a shitload of stuff. Right? So to me, it reminds me a little bit of the Kawhi Toronto thing where it's like, well, for this year, it's going to be great. And then maybe he'll stay. Who knows? I think you have a better chance of keeping both guys together for a couple of years, but who knows? Like if the season doesn't go the way you think this year, we've seen, we just saw it with the Brooklyn KD and, and Harden and Kyrie. And we're like, oh my God, what's this going to, and then all of a sudden it was over in a year. We've seen really fast NBA windows. So at least for this year, great. Um, you're still an old team. You're an old team with Drew. And I think what going back to the window point, Drew is going to be a free agent in a year, right? And they're thinking if Giannis wants out in a year, well, what do we do now? Do we, we can't pay Drew 35 million a year. And what, what, do you, what team are we even going to have? But now with Dame, now at least, you know, like, all right, we can spin this guy. He, we have him under contract. They still have Giannis under contract for this year and next. So they have two years window, at least, unless Giannis says, I want out, and then they could just blow it up. So I, I like where they are roster-wise more than I did before. With that said, I don't know if sure people are watching on YouTube. Probably most people are listening on the podcast. If you're not watching on YouTube, what you can see is there's two little devils on, on Bill's shoulders right now. <laughs> one is the Celtics fan just coping as hard as it can. The other one is the NBA analysts like thinking this through and realizing, oh my God, this is a home run. And they're sort of tussling back and forth, I, but sorry, so, continue. I don't know. I wouldn't say home run. I think it's a triple because 
you basically have to win the title again. You're going to have no picks. And there is but this that was, world. That was the case. That was the case. You just I made know, the- but you just gave away more picks. Now it's That's like. Fine. Once Giannis I, is gone, who cares? It, like, like I, and I think any Bucks fan, I will certainly speak for myself. Like, you know, honestly, what I what, what I, I want to commit to doing, I shouldn't say this, I'm going to get in trouble, but I will buy Bucks season tickets in 2030 when they win 10 <laughs> games in the year because it is <laughs> worth it to go for it now. It is 100% a home run. Of course, there are no guarantees in the in the NBA. All you can do is increase your chances of winning. And what Drew Holiday is good. I, I actually, what, what happened in 2021, there's a few points to make. Number one, every time Drew Holiday was competent offensively, the Bucks blew teams off the floor. Like that was the that was the governor on the Bucks engine for for all, all the last couple of years. Obviously, the last two had injury issues, but including in 2021, when he played well, we crushed teams. And, and so, but then he wasn't very good on offense. Then they go to the Olympics, and Dame was terrible. And I might have to scrub some tweets talking about how terrible he was. To be totally honest, Drew comes over and was awesome. He was the second best player on that team. He was exactly what they needed. And I think though that overinflated people's perception of Drew. He's an incredible defensive guard and he gets streaky and he can make these pull-up threes. He's just not a consistent offensive player. And in the context of the Bucks, who have Giannis, who have Lopez, who have this a very solid sort of defensive foundation, hmm. what we need and have desperately needed is someone that can get a shot with five seconds left on the, on the clock. That's why Middleton was so critical. He was literally the only guy who could get a shot in under five seconds and who could pass the ball to Giannis in a pick and roll. And he's not particularly good at that second one. Like, like th- this, is, this addresses perfectly the need that the Bucks have had yeah. for years now. Perfectly the offensive need. He's right. one of the it, worst it, defensive guards in the league. Oh, I mean, you atrocious. have to acknowledge that. He's really he's, bad. He is. He's, I, I freely admit, but if you have one of the worst defensive guards in the league, who is the number one player in the league that you'd like to have behind him? Okay, but you don't have really anybody yeah. under six seven who can guard anybody. Who do you have? We'll we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, I, mean, they're, I, they're, I don't we'll know. The they... last time I checked, the NBA had turned into a perimeter game where you need to like switch on defense and you got to stop teams from getting open threes. I'm pretty sure Lopez and Giannis aren't going to be able to help on that front. You know, I am I'm willing to accept the challenge of having offensive shootouts with teams if I'm running Dame Giannis pick and rolls with with Chris in the corner. The Dame Giannis pick and rolls would be incredible. With that said. We've seen Dame succeed the most when he has the ball all the time and a lot, right? And when he struggled, even when he's played on the Team USA stuff, it's like, eh, he's not really good if he's vacillating between I'm just kind of standing over on the side and whatever. Giannis had the ball a lot the last couple of years. And I want to know how that, how did, how does that balance? No, this is actually one of the hidden huge benefits of this deal, which one of the things Giannis is best as the roadmap. That's like what was unlocked the Bucks sort of in 2021. The problem is Giannis hates it. He complains about it all the time. He complains about being the highest paid role player in the league when he's asked to sort of be the role man in the pick and roll. And so one of the issues and things that I was worried about, particularly with the coaching change and having you know, Giannis's sort of handpicked guy come in, is that we're going to get a lot more of Giannis with the ball in his hands, which is fine in the regular season, but doesn't work out so well in the playoffs. That was actually one of my biggest concerns going into this year was just a shift. We are better. We've been better with the ball in Chris's hand and and Giannis playing off of that. One of the important things about Dame coming in is he has the skill and the respect from Giannis 
to mm. let to put Giannis in his right place on offense. So I actually think that it's going to be more seamless than you think. And and you and when Dame's sitting or whatever it might be, and you put Giannis out there, put Giannis in a bunch of bench players at the start of the second quarter, let him run rampant when most teams only have one guy at most who can defend him. I mean, the Celtics used to have three, but alas, uh, you know, I, I will see how Porzingis holds up on those Chris pick and rolls. I mean, I can understand the cope. I get it. <laughs> You're really something. Uh, with, <laughs> we, we, here's another thing that would worry me if I'm a Bucks fan. When, when, how many times in the history of the league has it worked when the best player in a team is like, I'm the GM now? Because that's what happened. You, you hired a coach that he wanted. You just made a trade that he wanted. And you traded picks in the future that he doesn't care about because he doesn't even know if he's going to be on the team two years from now. He doesn't care about two pick swaps and an unprotected first in 2029, he might be on Miami or the Knicks or the Clippers. He doesn't care. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care either. That's fine. I mean, I think I, what you have to say about Giannis, the GM is that, you know, if, if we were to get like a, like a, a hockey stat, like power play percentage, uh, he's like batting 1000. So it's one of the most, it's one of the more impressive. He's batting a thousand. Uh, so the Adrian Griffin, you're just, that's a blind thumbs up new coach. Oh, okay. Fair, fair, fair. The coach. We'll see how it goes. I don't think, I don't think that that's going to make, I mean, we'll see, we'll see, but I mean, I, you know, the agitated, I think, you know, behind the scenes to get drew in the first place, this is yeah. a pretty cold button move. I mean, you go back by the way, remember the all-star draft uh, team Giannis picks Dame over drew LeBron gives him crap about it. I right. Mean, I mean, oh, there, 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 there's the other question. This is sort of been, this was floating around on bucks message boards a few months ago was that, uh, you know, is Dame doing the Miami thing to depress his value such that he can get to the destination he actually wants to go to? Dame seems pretty excited about this, given all his rhetoric to date. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling that Dame and, and Giannis are sort of already on the same page. So the Middleton piece is going to be the big X factor now because we haven't seen him play at the level that we've been accustomed to. From him for two years and he's older and he's going to be i think it's a contract year this a year. year he he was fine and he, he was fine until he slipped in the playoffs against against the bulls right last year certainly not a great year although he was better against miami he was basically the only good good buck against miami although he got roasted on defense i mean oh the, 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 what are you talking about he got annihilated he couldn't guard anybody no no on defense for sure oh no wing deep well, there's no question are we have a huge hole as far as wing defense goes and I, you know, that's always been why the Celtics have always been our toughest opponent because Celtics have great wings. And, when you and say it's a huge to... hole, are you talking about everyone under six foot seven who plays any guard or small forward or swing man position? Because that's Marjan what I'm saying. The, the Marjan Beauchamp era <laughs> has, has, has arrived. Uh, can we talk about Drew? Because I continue to think he's the most underrated guy in the league, and I continue to think that that Miami series last year, which was a five game series that, as you said, Giannis got hurt halfway through Jimmy Butler basically left his body. Drew got torched in that series in a way that we've just never seen before. And now everybody's like, yeah, Drew holiday, whatever. And it, to me, that series was just like a black swan event. You have Butler plays the best he's ever played for a week and a half. Giannis gets hurt. You lost confidence at the end of two games. And by the end of game five, it just felt like the team died. But I still think that guy, I voted for him for all NBA. He was like 19, seven and five, still one of the best defensive guards in the league. I'm not writing him off because Jimmy Butler got hot against him. No, I actually, the number one thing I am concerned about right now, and let's be clear, I heard about this trade four hours ago. So I, I'm still sort of delirious and high right. uh, as, as you are sort of noticing, but I, I think 
the thing I most worry about is where does Drew Holiday go? Because I, he is a problem. Like, like he is a phenomenally good player. The, you know, as good as you want to talk about Giannis and Lopez being as sort of rim defenders, that drop sort of approach works a lot better when Drew Holiday is fighting over a screen and bothering right. a guy from behind than it is when Dame gets hung up again and again. And there's, there is an aspect the Bucks are going to have to outscore teams because any team with good mid-range shooters in particular is just going to eat. Like it, it's going to, it's going to get sort of pretty, pretty, pretty ridiculous. So I, I'm worried. I am worried where he goes specifically because I think he, I think he is very good. I think he's underrated. Well, the, he was the three the best candidates the are the three guy, teams you need to beat. Probably it's Boston, Miami, and Philly. I would say would be the leaders of the clubhouse. No, Maybe we're Golden not worried State. about Philly. Neither of us are. Let's be honest here. No, I know, but that you know, if they can somehow stumble into a way to get him without giving I mean, him Maxi, it's the more process interesting. going full circle with Drew going back would be would be sort of pretty pretty poetic <laughs> to say the least. What an exclamation um, point! Uh, Miami would be brutal because he's like the perfect Heat guy, and they have the Lowry expiring contract. They have the picks. I just don't know if I'm them. If I'm going all in on Drew Holiday when there's other prizes that seem to be looming. And the Celtics make the most sense from a basketball standpoint if they can just do Brogdon and picks and keep everybody else. Yeah, no, I mean the, the, for sure. It would, I mean, it'd be it would be an incredible fit on on the on the Celtics. I mean, like that. Like I said that's sort of the big X factor here is is where does Drew Drew go? That said, pick your team in the league. I still I I still like our chances. I mean, I, the thing about Drew, I agree with all your takes on him. It just that's not what the Bucks needed. The Bucks' right. problem for years has been getting shots at the end of the shot clock, getting shots at the end of a game, and you know, Damon Lillard is a flawed player. I've been I've been discussing and pointing out the flaws for a long time. His strengths, however, could not be a better perfect for exactly yeah, right. what the Bucks the Bucks need. Can we do a little Drew Holiday 2021 celebration? Because I feel like everybody acts like the league just happened two weeks ago. Even somebody like Aiton, I feel like is actually an undervalued asset. We watched that guy play in four playoff rounds. He got his ass kicked I, by Jokic last spring. Yep. And it's like, oh, Aiton sucks. It's like, Jokic is killing everybody. But the holiday piece, uh, some of the most clutch final stuff we've ever seen. The alley-oop was just one of the Oh my God! Moments we've had in the NBA Finals this century. Knocked away and stolen my holiday. Yeah, the I defense. Mean, what... <laughs> we we went head to head against him with the Celtics in 2022, and some of the stuff he was doing was just out of control. I I was just so terrified. I know his offense goes up and down, but the guy's a winner. If he's your third best player, your fourth best player, you're gonna do well. Yeah. No. I I, I mean yeah. I mean I don't want to dump on the guy at all, and I share with you he's underrated. I adore him. I'm so grateful for 2021. That alley oop was one of the most incredible plays of my life. It was ballsiest too, right? It was, it like was the balls on that pass. Play. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and by the way, uh, Chris Paul should have gotten kicked out of the game for shoving Giannis in the air as as, as long True. as we're here. Um, well, I mean, Drew Holiday on Golden State. By the way, that would be that would be uh, fairly fairly terrifying. I, I have to say. Um, right. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And you know, it, it's just the NBA is a is a cold business. Like I appreciate what he did. He wanted to retire in Milwaukee Bell accounts. He was fantastic in the community. Like it, and you know, there's an aspect that is kind of a bummer and it's sort of the appropriate counterpoint to when we complain about player empowerment and players leaving and going everywhere. Teams can do the same thing to players that give a lot to this, to the city and that contribute yeah. to winning. You say the same thing about bud, bud won a title two years. He's out. And yep. that's the reality of having a top five player who's on the probably the back end of his prime, just given the, the his style and the way he plays. 
you got to do deal. You got to do deals like this. It just it, it is what it is. I'm grateful for him. I'm glad he won a title here, and uh, I'm worried he's going to win a title somewhere else at the Bucks' expense. But you still got to do the deal hundred times out of hundred. You know what's the most fun team for him? I was thinking about it. Um, OKC, if they turn Dort and a bunch of their picks and just turn Dort into Drew Holiday and added him to all the guys they have, and it's with basically Giddy, SGA, and Drew Holiday with like their size and Jalen Williams and I, that, I like I think OKC is going to be really good anyway. But if they were able to do an upgrade like that, that's a good one. Celtics, I think he would have a dramatic impact on, but. I just really like him. I've always felt like he was undervalued, but even Haralabob, who I think is the number one Drew guy, and he was like, well, it's Dame. You got to do it. You know, and yep. I had, I think I had Dame in my trade value like 23, and I had Drew at 37. Right. But it, but it's, it's one of those things where relative to the Bucks' needs, Dame yeah, shoots yeah. up to you, like number three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the big, the big thing with Dame was just the salary and the fact that you're looking at 120 million in the mid 2020s. The Bucks don't Yeah. Care. You know what? Credit to the Bucks owners, credit to John Horst. I've been hard on both of them over the years, but like, this is all you can ask for as a fan it is, you know, there's no guarantee it's going to work, but their chips are all the way in their money is good. It's going to cost them a lot. And, you know, as a Bucks fan, I'm grateful for that. Give me the Bucks fan base, just Dame walking into this whole universe. What is, what should he be expecting? Cause he was in a similarly, you know, Portland's another city. They, that's the only sports team in Portland. So it's crazy. Those fans are nuts. Milwaukee of the Packers, the Brewers and this, but um, yeah, the, what is he walking are interesting. into? I mean, I mean, well, the, I mean he's going to, I mean, the Bucks fans are going to go crazy for sure. I mean, I mean, I've already, I've been rescheduling flights right now to make sure I can catch a couple extra, <laughs> extra games. I think I, you know, I've, that that's a stand in for, for lots of folks in that regard. No, he's going to be absolutely beloved. And, um, you know, is it going to be cold? Yes. I think, uh, you know, I saw some tweets about Dame's, Dame's entourage is maybe not as excited about Milwaukee as, as sort, sort of, sort of Dame might be, but, um, but, you know, he's, he's going to be incredibly beloved. Uh, the, the fans are going to go crazier and be very supportive. I mean, this is the Midwest, right? Like we, we, yeah. we fully support everyone often to our detriment, even when it's time to move on. So I, I don't think there's going to be any, you know, I think he's going to enjoy it. There's, it's going to feel like home. So. If you had to guess, when does Giannis leave after this trade? And I gave you I'm the over-under. No, I'm if I give you the over-under of 2,027 and a half, would you go under or over? I would probably go over. I do think there's a good chance. This has dramatically increased the chance that Giannis retires in Milwaukee. I agree with you. I mean, you know, just, you know, there's a, it's a lot different to be looking in the face of a Dirk Nowitzki type decline if you've won three titles, say, than if you've only won one. And, uh, and so I, you know, I think that Giannis, there's a part of him that would prefer to stay in Milwaukee. He's built a home there. He he is sort of loyal. Um, at the same time, I was worried about Giannis being too loyal, being taken advantage of to a certain respect by the Bucks. This was so hard on the Bucks and their ownership for so many years. That's like the, that was the Dirk problem. Yeah. Dirk just, just kind of blindly trusting everybody. You're taking this guy for granted. And so, you know, I view the Giannis power play and this is why I was so chill when I was on a couple of weeks ago. It's I, like, there's an aspect of I'm happy for Giannis that he is doing what you need to do as a superstar in the NBA. And, you know, and I think that, you know, I wouldn't be support again, and maybe he leaves and we gave it a best shot. And I would not begrudge that because the bucks are going to be a disaster in five years. And you know what? You still do it every time. So, um, uh, it's all, it's all, all nothing but upside from my perspective. I forgot that you 
redid the Middleton deal. So he's 29, 31 next year, player option after that. And we got Lopez too. So, so this is, it's locked in for the next three years. So uh, like, I, I think Giannis, maybe he does like a two-year extension or one. I would say it's locked in for the next option. two. Yeah. Cause Giannis has a player option two years away. Same for Middleton. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about Giannis and those whole contract stuff, it was, it was not smart monetarily to do an extension. Now he can get more money if he waits. So even if he planned on staying, he was never going to sign that extension. And, you know, honestly, I think a big, you know, a big part of the, you know, sort of, well, is it a good thing? Blah, 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 blah. The national media is just upset that they don't get a write about Giannis destination stories for the next year. And they're bitter about the lack of traffic. So sorry, guys. Bummer. Too bad for you. Wow. Shots fired. I just, <laughs> I love Giannis and I just want him to be on good teams. And I think the fear I had just as a basketball fan, not a Celtic fan, was that the team felt like it was going to get old. I didn't know how long Drew's in the 09 draft. They still might. Dame's old too, right? You know, so I, yeah, I'm with you. That's why I was chill about it. Like I, it would be sad to watch Giannis again. I think the Dirk Nowitzki situation is, is, is the analogy here. It would just be a bummer to watch him dragging terrible teams to an eighth seed year after year. And, um, and I want, I, I, I want what's best for Giannis. And I think what's best for Giannis now is him staying in Milwaukee and winning, winning a few titles. And that's great for me too. Well, the last time they went all in, they got drew and they seemed like they paid a lot, but it was worth it. They win the title this time paying a lot, <laughs> no picks for the rest of the decade. Basically. Um, I like this. I, I would much rather Giannis stay in Milwaukee. Cause as you know, I love the continuity and I just think yeah, it's good for I the just, league. I think it's good for the league. I, I just like watching a guy go through wars year after year on the same team in the same city. And you know, he's the one person I was, I was like that Dirk and Duncan stayed in one place. I like that Curry's going to stay in one place. Um, we'll see. It feels like, I don't know when the drew trade happens. My guess it would be relatively fast because it doesn't help Portland. Yeah, to, I think uh, it happens within a week. I, 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 I'm yeah. sure it's, there's basically an auction being run by Portland right now is what I would imagine. And we both agree that whatever they ended up with was, I, I just think, way better than any other rumored, especially if Ananobi wasn't on the table for Toronto, which I think is insane. But, yeah, if they, um, if they were going to, if they were going to, you know, I've heard variations of Aiton and Barnes or Aiton and Ananobi. I love Aiton for the Blazers, by the way. You me mentioned too. this before. I came out of the Phoenix series with tremendous respect and that whole playoff run, the number of guys in the league who can defend bigs and can defend on the perimeter. It's like four and he's one of them. Now, obviously is his head ever going to get screwed on? Right? Probably not. But given the Portland situation, no pressure being there with scoot, who is uh, just a phenomenal running. The team will get him involved. will make him feel part, part of it. It's a, it's a, a plus reclamation project. If it doesn't work out, who cares? You stink anyway. I think, I think well, that is and you very have, you have to spend the money on somebody. They have all young dudes, you know? So I yep. thought I, I just, for the life of me, do not understand what the Suns did. Like if you're in the West, it's like, Oh cool. You turned Deandre Ayton and then Yusuf Nurkic and Grayson Allen. That was your move. Like that's how badly oh, you want. We, and, yes. and sorry. And little, my, the best part about this is I don't have to watch Grayson Allen anymore. Right. Oh my God. Oh, I, I had to read stuff today on Twitter. It's like two more role players for their rotation. It's like, what you Nurkic is like unplayable against certain teams. See, I, I did a list of, I ranked all my centers. I had him as 29th. 
I think I think he's the 29th best center in the league. And Grayson Allen is unplayable in the playoffs, as we just found out for two straight playoffs. Oh, so I, I, I would just much rather I mean, have Aiden. Jason Tatum's reputation. Jason Tatum should buy Grayson Allen dinner at those Duke camps <laughs> every year for the rest of his life. Because oh, look at this incredible performance by Jason Tatum. Yeah, because Bud is not pressuring the ball. He's letting the Celtics walk it down and pass it around until Tatum's isolated right. on Grayson Allen. He gets to score every time. Oh. Nightmare. Well, nightmare fuel. You lost Javon Carter, who I think actually would have helped you this season, especially with uh, the lack of perimeter defense. But yeah, I've, I'm. I feel like we need to start some sort of Aiton Island. I'm not giving up on Aiton, and I thought uh, he was I'm good there. in 21. I think he was in a weird situation, and I thought uh, I thought Portland stole him. I like I liked what they did. All right, Ben Thompson, congrats. Oh, the uh, what? Any tech stuff happened since? Last time we talked, nothing major. Oh right? yeah, no, just like a you know the AI sort of total total you know continued explosion. I mean, we're it's a good thing we got this opportunity to sort of podcast, and I can just sort of be delirious on air before we're just completely replaced. So I, you know, <laughs> the timing is is all good. How are we, I still trying to figure out how we're going to get replaced? Like you still need the opinions. Yeah, like no, they I can think, I think, match our voices, but they can't replace us. Yeah, I know. Just the memes will be hilarious though. I know. All right. We can, uh, you can listen to Ben on the sharp tech podcast and you can also listen or you can read them on the Stratechery newsletter, which is, uh, continues to be one of the most essential reads and, uh, very influential. Ben, congrats. Good to see you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball we've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps, Assistant, and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLobulture.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. All right. Million dollar picks week four. We are down 70 K for the season. I blame the Arizona Cardinals for upsetting my Dallas Cowboys parlay last week. I still have not forgiven Dallas yet. I blame the Packers for winning, but I had the minus one and a half. They won by one and that line shifted. It was the Tic Tac zone, which cousin Sal and I talked about on Sunday, trying to figure out these Minus one and a half lines, which are now all the rage in Vegas. And they just seem like automatic stayaways every time. Weird stuff happens. We were trying to think of a name. And a couple of people suggested the Tic Tac Zone because they used to have these Tic Tac 
commercials where Tic Tac, uh, it was 1.5 calories. And Tic Tacs are one of those things where you buy them and it's like, am I even enjoying this Tic Tac? You don't know whether to chew it, it gets stuck in your teeth. Tic Tac zone is perfect. I'm not messing around with the Tic Tac zone again. Here are the other stayaways for me for week four. First of all, we have a London game, Jacksonville and Atlanta. And normally I'd be plowing into Atlanta plus three, but stay away. I'm just staying away completely, totally. The London game, especially on the West Coast, you wake up, it's like 7.15, you forgot the game was on, your team's already down 10 points. Weird things happen in London. I'm staying away from that. Kirk Cousins is in Carolina. And Minnesota's 0-3 and needs a win. I think Carolina's terrible. And I just keep staring at the Vikings. And the line went from minus 3 to minus 4. And I was I, I was like, oh, am I going to do it? Am I going to do the Vikings? And uh, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not doing Kirk Cousins on natural grass against a team with a decent pass rush. Who knows who the quarterback? I'm just staying away. Sorry, Kirk Cousins. Uh, Joe Burrow? I'm staying away. I didn't like. I don't like what I saw on Monday night. Uh, I like this spot against the Titans until you actually look at the stats and you see basically all the first downs, all the touchdowns, uh, the field goals. Basically, these teams have had been the exact same offense for the last three weeks, the games in Tennessee. Uh, I don't know what to expect in that game. Stay away. Arizona, I'm staying away from you. I don't know what's going on with you, but you've been in every game and you could easily be 3-0 and it's just a blind stay away now. I don't know what's happening. Everyone thought that team was tanking. Obviously not. Uh, they're getting a ton of points in San Francisco this week. I'm out. I'm staying away. And last but not least, uh, Denver, Chicago, which we named uh, a new guest alliance category for on last Sunday. We called it the nuclear reactor spill. This is the worst game of all time. I actually started to feel myself talking myself into the Bears plus three and a half because it Miami proved like anybody can throw in this Denver team. Denver's defense looks terrible. I'm staying away. What is good about betting on this game? How do you feel good about yourself as a human being? I'm not doing it. Here's what I do feel good about. Uh, first of all, we've taken the Patriots. I know they're my favorite team, but I feel like I've been realistic about them over the years, both on, on guest lines, million dollar picks. They're getting six and a half points against the Dallas Cowboys. And there's some reasons for that, right? Dallas is really good. Patriots only scored 15 points against the Jets. Mac Jones is 0-10 in his last 10 games as an underdog against the spread. And it feels worse. Um, Mac Jones in 36 games has had one come from behind win. It feels worse than that. I just think this line should be three or three and a half because of the uncertainty with Dallas's offensive line. I know some guys are finally starting to practice. I don't like Dallas in the red zone at all. I think the Patriots are going to, the Patriots defense is actually really good. And did a nice job against Miami, you know, last week, Zach Wilson, whatever. But good pass rush. They can cover. And Dallas has some real red zone issues. This feels like a three or a three and a half point line to me. You're getting an extra three points. My prediction is that the Patriots are going to be down by four points in the last two and a half minutes of this game. They're going to have the ball. Mac Jones is going to drive them down. And then something bad is going to happen. And they're going to lose by four and cover. And it'll be Mac Jones's first cover as an underdog in the last uh, 11 games, but I'm still going to feel terrible about it. So close game. I don't know if the Pats can win or not, but the six and a half is too much. That's one bet. Second one, we're going Colts minus one and a half at home against the Rams. The Rams without their left, left tackle who they're saying like, Oh, he's got a hamstring. Maybe he'll play. No, he's not playing. And even if he plays, he's going to be on one leg and, you know, the thing with the Rams, they have this top-heavy team as soon as they start losing guys. All hell breaks loose. 
I like what I've seen from Indianapolis. And I don't even care if the quarterback is my guy Minshew or if Richardson comes back. I like the minus one and a half. And I like this team. And somebody weird in the AFC is AFC South is going to go nine and eight. So we're going to take the Colts minus one and a half. I can't quit the Steelers. I'm sorry. The Steelers are minus three against Houston. And look, I like the Houston thing too. It was fun last week to watch them beat Jacksonville, but they got a kick return touchdown from their fullback and just weird shit happened that game and Jacksonville didn't show up and now we've overreacted and the Steelers team that I thought had a chance to be the one seed potentially is only laying three against Houston at home. Like how great is that? Unbelievable. I think their defense can win this game by itself. So we're taking Steelers minus three and then last but not least the Cleveland Browns who we talked about on Tuesday's podcast. I think this has a chance to be the 2000 Ravens, the, the, the return and Vegas doesn't totally believe yet. This line was Browns by three over Baltimore. Who's banged up, who has real offensive line injuries. They might have some injured guys playing on the offensive line this week. Um, their left tackle in their center. Uh, they have major wide receiver issues. They have major injuries on the defense. You can throw on them. And the case would be Lamar as an underdog is unbelievable. The Browns coming off a really impressive win. I'm going the other way. I think the Browns are good. I thought it was going to be the Steelers in this division, and I think it's going to be the Browns. And this is going to be the last time we're going to get them under a field goal at home against an offense that isn't awesome. And this Baltimore team, the way they are right now, I just I don't think they're ready for the Browns defense the way it's looking these days. Plus, you got the Browns, Ravens revenge. Uh, it's constant revenge. They, the, the Ravens left Cleveland. So I just, just a gut feeling. This feels like a special game for the Browns. I loved what I saw from Watson last week and we're going to take them. So we're doing 200 K on Browns minus two and a half Pats plus six and a half Colts minus one and a half and Steelers minus three. And then just for fun, we're going to put another 200 K on a tease. I haven't done a tease yet this year. But we're going to do a seven and a half point tease. We're going to take KC, who's playing the Jets. And this is it for Zach Wilson. This is our last chance to bet on him. Let's throw a party. Let's throw a celebration. Sunday night, Tra uh, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, that's going to dominate. And then Zach Wilson's last start. Those will be the two storylines. I don't think we'll ever see Zach Wilson again after Sunday, unless it's the XFL and whatever the XFL merged into. So KC, we're going to tease them. From nine and a half to two, we're going to tease Philadelphia from eight and a half to one against Washington. Um, people are like, Washington, they beat Philadelphia last year. You know who remember that? Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia's defense, I think, is fantastic. They're always going to be able to make plays. They're always going to get over 20 points. And if you watched Washington last week just get destroyed by Buffalo, um, nine sacks, Philly's defense is better than Buffalo's defense. So that's the second piece. And then the third piece I had to put something on this Miami Buffalo game. I think Miami could win this game outright. Buffalo, Joe House made this point on East Coast Bias this week. Buffalo has played Zach Wilson, Sam Howell, and the artist formerly known as Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't even think he's Jimmy Garoppolo anymore. I think he's Jimmy G. Thanks. They haven't played a real quarterback and a real offense yet. And this line has been Miami getting two and a half points. Right now it's uh, Miami by th getting three. We're going to take them to 10 and a half. So this is a seven and a half point tease, three teams, Chiefs, Philly, Miami. 
and we get plus 105 on those odds on FanDuel. So we're putting 200K on that as well. And I just want to put a spiritual bet on the Raiders money line of Aiden O'Connor plays because that's my guy. I think if he plays for the Raiders, I think they're going to beat the Chargers outright this week. Mark that one down. Those are the million dollar picks for week four. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 of bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, that is $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose, you can listen to my million dollar picks on this podcast where we go through all my favorite bets. We're also going to do a boost for the Patriots Cowboys game on Sunday. Sal and I are going to combine and we're going to have a nice little same game parlay for you. We're going to probably agree on one leg and then each of us will pick one of the other two and stay tuned for that. We'll both tweet that boost out when it happens. FanDuel is going to help us out. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. Great app, spreads, player pops, or runners, futures, whatever you want. FanDuel also now live in Kentucky. Download the app now. Take advantage of their great special offers, boosts, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash BS and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system. Comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service and home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. What a pleasure to have one of the hosts of Strike Force 5, a podcast that's going to come and go and leave a, a nice fresh corpse after 12 episodes because all of the late night hosts are back. Yeah. On TV. What is it? Monday? Everybody's back Monday? We're all back Monday, 10 2, except for a classic John Oliver move. He's going to be back on Sunday, 10 1. Oh, he, I got you. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, this yeah. is Seth Myers. We have a long history. We do. I think you were the first celebrity who ever asked to come on the pod. That's that how true? I remember it. Yeah. I think that's what happened because you were listening to it. I was a fan. And and I was so surprised when you mentioned, you were like, whoa, Jacko was on one. Or you said, so I'm like, wait, you listened to the podcast? I had no idea anybody listened to it. You came on and you were the, I think one of the first celebrities I ever had on. You might be one of the first creators of content who I have been engaged with from the entirety of your career as well. I feel like I was there from the very beginnings of your internet adolescence. Oh, Jesus. So. Ground floor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a real, I, you know, if you, if you could have bought in, if I could have gotten those early NFTs, <laughs> I would be really cashing in right <laughs> NFTs. now. NFTs are in trouble. Uh, yeah. yeah. When we were doing it back in 09, it was 08 or 09. I can't remember what year, yeah. but uh, we couldn't see each other. There was no Zoom. I, you would just call into some weird 
phone yeah. line. I would just listen to you. We would talk. We would try to figure out when the other person was going to stop talking. It, was, it feels like a, a million years ago. We talked Red Sox, Steelers. You were working. I was you were at still SNL. at SNL at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I remember talking to you from the desk I had the entirety of my run there because I was a, I was a one desk uh, cast member at SNL, which is very hard to pull off. Who were the roommates that you had on, or office mates, I should say? Yeah, so run? I started with Eric Kenward, who is still at the show as a producer, and Dean Edwards, who was a- Dean Edwards, yeah. Yeah, Dean Edwards, because I, I started with Dean Edwards, Jeff Richards, and Amy Poehler. That was my that was my class. And then they left, and I had Matt Murray, who's a really talented writer, who's gone on to work on shows like Parks and Recreation and uh, many others. And then I, I graduated to having it by myself for the end of my run and having your own office, no matter how shitty an office it was. And I really do want to stress it was shitty. That was a big deal. Yeah. It's like in college, if your roommate moves out with like a month left, you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. It's and like then Jost, uh, uh, Jost took it over. So it's, it has now been an office that has been in the hands of, of just two guys for almost 20 years. Well, we had this writer strike for almost five months. Weird timing from a late night standpoint, because the, the, country's getting super interesting right now. So you have to sit out on yes. like the friggin' debate we had last night. Um, but then also the SNL with the 50th season, now all of a sudden we're getting thrown into that. So I, I mean, when, when does SNL come back? Are you going to be involved at all with the 50th season and how does it play out? Cause I haven't really heard any details. So I think there's saying the beginning of year 50 is the Olympics this summer. Is that maybe right when they're going to start? announcing and getting it ready to go. But I would imagine it's going to be not this February, but the following February is when right. it all falls. But I, I think that unlike the 40th or the 25th, I would imagine you are going to be hyper aware of it for the whole year. And I think that having recently had dinner with Lauren, it does seem like it's going to be pretty special. I, you know, I've talked about this before, but I've never been in a room with more famous people than the 40th, obviously. Right. And so what's 50 going to be like? Right. Because, Jesus. you know, the, the thing about famous people is if they don't die, they don't get less famous. So, you know, especially the ones that came to the 40th, if they're still around, you know, you if you you're still Keith Richards. So you have that. And then you add in people who've been famous in the last 10 years who get to come as well. I will say and it was really funny to realize that this is a problem that somebody like Lauren Michaels could have, all his fears are seeding. Like, where is he going to put everybody? Because it just, you've right. been in that studio, it can't hold the amount of people that are going to want to be there. So we got, this is season 49, but then yep. that season 50 celebration, I don't know what, what the timing of that is, but um, it's hard to believe that that show's been around for a half century. <laughs> it's just like that's yeah. that's such a long time. Like when we were growing up, a half century just seemed like a kajillion years. Yeah, you know? it seemed like meet the press. The only things you could believe would been around that long were shows like that, where yeah. you know it'd be like black and white, grainy Walter Cronkite, and it you know, which is I guess what to young people today those early episodes must look like as far as the sort of standard definition television. But yeah, it's gonna be. I think there's just gonna be events all year long and. It's funny because I was, I think I'd left only a year previous to the 40th. Yeah. And I felt, I still felt very plugged into it. And I, I now realize that this time I'm going to have what I think a lot of cast members have when things like this come up, which is, I, I wonder if they're going to ask me to do something. 
you know, right. because it, I felt like last time it, it was very clear I was going to play a role. And this time, you know, I, I think it might get close and you realize, hey, I think they maybe I think they maybe wrote it already. I think it might be done. Do you listen to the Carvey Spade podcast? You must, right? I just did it for the first time. It hasn't aired yet, but I do listen to it. And um, it was it was so much fun to do as well. But it's I like trip. that it exists. They're like the perfect guys to host it. And uh, I don't know. There's been I've listened to a bunch of them. There's been some really good SNL history, like Jim, Jim Downey's episode, I thought was really good. But they've had some some people where it's like, whoa, didn't know that story. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's a good chronicle, I think. I think they've done a really smart thing as well, which is a lot of the people that maybe haven't done a million podcasts talking about SNL. You know, there's like this whole sort of tranche of SNL people who were also there for all the craziest hosts and all the nuttiest stories. And they have done a very fine job of, of mining into those details. So you're like extended class because that those 2000s people, it's been fascinating to watch what happened over the last 15 years, right? Like haters turned into like, uh, a European independent film director, basically yes. with Barry. I don't, that last season was like, uh, you know, he's just he went to a whole other level. Then you, have I will Sudeikis. say, Barry Barry changed more over the course of its four seasons than SNL changed over its fifty. Right, <laughs> right. Like, like the first episode of Barry, you're like, oh my god, so funny, and then the last episode. I think that's what he wanted, though. That was oh, like his intent the whole percent. time. It was yeah. It was like, I, I want and this I to thought, get super dark. I thought that uh, the journey as a viewer was just fantastic. I have no, I have no criticisms at all. So you have him. Wouldn't yep. you guess that maybe in 2006, like this nope. is going to be his arc. You have Sudeikis who becomes the king of Apple TV. Yeah. With, uh, with Ted Lasso, which was the, the show America apparently needed during the pandemic. The, the good, the nice sweet anecdote to uh, how all of us were feeling. So that happens, but you would have guessed he was, there was leading actor potential, but I, I like none of that surprised me, but it was just, it was funny that it all blossomed like this decade. Yes. It's also very, I mean, the craziest roommates ever is that Barry and Ted Lasso shared an office because those are the most divergent, <laughs> successful television shows, certainly in the last right. five years, tonally. Right. So then you had, you were there with Tina Fey. Yeah. Who created 30 Rock and has been obviously done a bunch of stuff. Polar was like your, that was your sidekick. Yep. Yeah, I would say I was her sidekick, but I take the point. Yes, <laughs> she has all that. <laughs> Sandberg does up, but it's just kind of funny to look back now. Like that was a real class, the way that we used to look at. Yes. You know, like we would look at like the Belushi class or like the, you know, the Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey class. And now as all these years later, I was like, ah, oh, that was definitely an era. There was a uh, there's a photo of because we got really lucky after the last writer's strike. We had a very small writing staff, which had people like John Mulaney and Simon Rich on it. So yeah. those are people that, that aren't even on camera. And then we had an 11 person cast. And I look at the photo every day because it's right side, right outside my studio. Uh, you have Daryl Hammond and Keenan Thompson, who are still involved with the show. And then the nine, uh, uh, the rest of us have all hosted, which I think is maybe the only time that's happened wow. because it's it's Wig, Maya. Polar, Forte, Hater, Sedakis, Fred, myself. I feel like I'm missing somebody. Um, but it's yeah, we're uh, old. that's fine. You you even yeah. batted ninety percent. That was that's amazing. What, it's a good group. It was a yeah. bit. It's uh uh yeah. I mean, so you just look back at that and you realize, oh yeah, we were there for one of the best eras uh, of the course of the show. And it does really speak to how a smaller cast can sometimes be 
really beneficial to everybody's growth. I wonder where SNL fits in these days when like you can just go on Instagram and watch golden retrievers jump into a septic tank. Yeah. And then you just click the, go to the next reel and it's like, oh, there's a baby that fell over, but the baby's fine. And then you go to the next reel and it's like, oh, that guy almost got in a car accident. And it's just like, now you've watched 75 straight reels over the course of 35 minutes. Like there was a lot less to do in the seventies and eighties, like when we were growing up. Well, when I, we were growing up, I'm sure it was the same for you. I would stay up every Saturday to watch SNL. And then the other nights of the week, I would watch reruns of SNL from the 70s. <laughs> right, so, right. Like my reels were just full episodes of old SNLs. Yeah, I wonder. I, I, How old are your kids now? Just seven, five and two. Yes, yeah, so you're a while away. Yeah, my, I have two still teenagers. And I just wonder, like, what are going to be their shared experiences with other people from they're now they're kind of demo when they're like 38, you know, they'll have like stranger things and a couple of things like that, but it's not, we had, you and I grew up in, you know, different places. We didn't know each other, but I'm sure we had like 20 of the same movies, TV shows, comedians, whatever right. that we loved. Right. Well, there was only that one algorithm, like show business made the algorithm. And now it's crazy because even when you talk about, you know, reels, you know, my reels, I, you know, it's hard to process that it's not what everybody's seeing when you scroll right. down, you know, They're because I'm you. Yeah. And I'm so I'm seeing a lot of, you know, old Red Sox highlights and, and old SNL sketches. And I'm thinking, wow, these guys, I'm so happy they're having their time in the sun. And you realize, well, no, other people aren't seeing that. <laughs> and so that true. was, you know, and, and, you know, every now and then, you know, people will, uh, I feel like they tweet a photo of, you know, just like 20 cardboard VHS tapes of movies from the 80s and every one of them i guarantee is a movie you and i have seen 10 times yeah and you know it is a real back of my day thing to say it was better back then but even now when we try to make jokes about where we try to make a pop culture reference to a recent thing even stranger things for example you realize it still doesn't have like the breadth and scope of making a reference to terminator a movie that came out yeah 80s, which just has like a, a a stronger cultural grasp because so many people saw it so many times. Yeah, I don't even know what like you know. I think I'm the way my column and the way I wrote it in the 2000s, and a lot of it were like these pop culture references or references that I knew people would get, and I don't even know necessarily how you would do that now. Like if I yeah. was making, I don't know if I dropped like an Outer Banks reference, like would people get that? But right. 20 years ago, I know if I'm dropping. I don't know, 48 hours or midnight run or something. I know people are going to get it, you know? It, and I think that's one of the things that's probably changed. It's just a lack of things in common with everybody else. There's like even shows I've never seen like Dawson's Creek where I feel like I, I can get the reference based yes. on the fact that it was, it made a big enough ripple that you sort of caught it just by being adjacent to people who are watching it. And I don't know if that happens anymore either. Yeah, I remember there was an SNL sketch in the early 90s when Susan Day was the host and they did a Brady Bunch versus the Partridge family and it got to use like everyone in the cast. And it was just like the perfect SNL sketch for what the nostalgia, you know, early 90s, the way everybody had watched the Brady Bunch of Partridge film, like literally everybody. So everybody probably had the highest Venn diagram of if you're going to do a nostalgia sketch, how many people are going to get that? I don't know what that is anymore. I guess it would be Friends... Seinfeld, um, right. there's probably a couple from that era. Like you could do, I saw it, there was on Instagram, there was the, this Brooklyn baseball, minor league baseball team, they had a, a lane dancing contest. 
Yes, I saw that. And that was, that was I was like, oh, that's something like everyone would get. Like they, everyone yeah. remembers the Elaine dancing. Weirdly, SNL would probably score better with an Office parody today than with a parody of anything. Oh, yeah. Office, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. How is your you've been doing your show for almost 10 years now? Yeah. Now you have to start doing it again. Um, when you started that show, you know, the, the online social was important, but it wasn't everything. It wasn't this, right. And now you're trying to reach a generation where I don't know if people 25 and under know what channel things are on. I don't think I'd they like, do. I don't think my daughter knows what channel anything is on. I think she knows where the apps are. Yeah. It's and so she funny. she to get to YouTube. I was, uh, I, uh, I have a real, a deli guy I really like, I get my coffee from, and he very sweetly has been giving me, um, uh, once a week, he doesn't make me pay because he feels bad that I'm not working. And uh, I'm really heartbroken <laughs> that he's going to find out the strike is over and I'm going to start paying full, full <laughs> freight. Tough. But he'll, I remember the first time I talked to him, uh, he's like, somebody else had told him I was on TV. He didn't watch my show. He goes, what, he goes, what channels? And I was like, NBC. And then he said, no, yeah, but what channel? Because he's still like four. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. that, so that's a thing even I don't know. So I don't want to be too judgmental of people that don't even know what NBC means. But uh, yeah, it's a trip. I think interesting thing that happened for us, and you know, I've said this before, but you know, when we started, I think the conventional wisdom was the only things that worked virally were short. And the only yeah. thing that works virally for us is the longest thing we do in the show. You know, a closer look is the yep. people that watch that on YouTube. That's by far uh, the highest consumed piece we have digitally. So it's been nice for us to realize, I think in the way that, you know, look, podcasts, I don't think anybody thought in the way that you listen to talk radio, I don't think people ever assumed you'd listen to long form interviews the way podcasts provided them. But people do weirdly have patience for things if they're uh, rich in content. Yeah. And that's what a closer look has been for us. So. Yeah, well, you probably have people that they only watch that, right? And a they don't thousand, know any other percent. piece of the yeah. show. Yes, that is certainly based on on the the digital data takeaway. It would clearly be that it's a it's closer look. Yeah, because my son consumes Jimmy content, Jimmy yeah. Kimmel. Right. He has he's no fam- idea what no idea. Well, because he's known him forever, mm-hmm. but he does like he likes the prank stuff, um, and he's watched just and he subscribes to the channel, so he'll pick and choose. He has no idea what channel Jimmy's on. Like none. Right. Like if I was like Ben, I'll give you. $50 if in the next five minutes you can find where Jimmy's show is. He just wouldn't know. But he's seen probably, you know, 50 Cousin Sal pranks and he's seen, you know, 100 Guillermo videos and things like that. And I don't know, maybe that's that's where it's going. But it's so weird. It's so, I can't wrap my head around it because of what we grew up with where you just watch Letterman for 60 yeah. straight minutes, you know? We also, I think it was 2013, tail end of my time at SNL, shot one of those whole network promos that ended with everybody walking outside. So you had the Today Show and Brian Oh, the old school network promos? Yeah. And, you know, those used to be a huge thing that I genuinely was excited to watch. I mean, look, we had, you'll admit to it, right? You had a genuine rooting interest in some networks over the others. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember being gutted as an NBC kid, which I would have called myself, so sad that moonlighting was abc you just felt like if we just had moonlighting we would be the perfect right. network yeah i always felt when when cbs canceled the white shadow i yeah. was like i'm out you guys you guys are fucking dead to me <laughs> um, 
it was right over to ABC, NBC. So I always had a grudge against CBS after that. We One of the stories that we have that I, I'm sure we've talked about way back when, but maybe a lot of people don't know is you were like not unclose to maybe hosting a show on ESPN. I was like, that was a real thing. Like it was, was going to be a real thing for, I don't know, maybe six months there. What was that? Like 2012, 13 range. Yeah, it was right in the run up to this deal. And I will say, I don't think it hurt that NBC knew that I was talking right. to ESPN. I'd hosted a couple ESPYs and I hope I'm right here that I sat down with John Skipper and probably Connor Shell, right? Would that be yeah. who I, yeah. So, um, and I, I remember having a couple meetings with those guys, you know, the ESPYs have been a great experience for me. I love the creative freedom they had given us. And I really liked John and I really liked Connor. They were, they were two uh, straight shooters. And you had me and Maura just badgering them. We've yeah. to do this. We have to do this. <laughs> We're the thing that them. made it, I, I, you know, look, this is what made it an easy decision in the end not to do. They wanted live, and I don't think they were wrong. But, you know, I just lifestyle wise, right. I couldn't imagine doing on the East Coast as well, right? Like, I know Kimmel did it for well, a while. It's basically going to be like your version, but with more guests and stuff of what Van Pelt ended up doing, which probably yes. makes way more sense for what ESPN is than what we were talking about with you, I think. Yes, I think so, too. I mean, I think it was I mean, you must have heard it more than even I did. But the amount that people would say, you know what show there should be the Daily Show for sports. And I've yeah. always contended that the Daily Show for sports was a good, irreverent sports center. Because yeah. you don't actually want comedy. People are fans of sports in a way they're not fans of politics. And they don't actually want to watch, you know, uh, a comedy about basketball games. They like to see highlights about basketball games with some, you know, guys that seem funny and fun to be around. You know what it was? It was probably an idea that was about 10 years too late. But I still think it would have been awesome if you had come and, and tried to do it. And you were the best person to do it because you actually follow sports. And as we've seen on NBC, you know how to host a late night show. But yeah. I'm not sure. I think over the 2010s, people stopped watching ESPN in quite the same way because we had the internet. You know, you yeah. didn't, once the internet really rounded in a shape where you could be like, how'd my guys do last night? Oh, I can watch these videos of my team. And so the the sports center impact I think was lessened, and then yeah. a lot of it headed more toward breaking news stuff like the Dame Lord stuff yesterday, where it's like Dame Lord just got traded. Let's go to so and so, and now it's two people in a box. But in like the early two thousands, I think it would have crushed. I think it would. I think it would have crushed, but I think it would have been. I think I would have started at that height of it, and which is never kind of where you want to get right right, right. and as yeah. it's as the years pass you're like oh no yeah because some things like pti i feel like is almost the same from an essential standpoint as it used to be back in the even podcast breaking stuff like the day miller trades yesterday a perfect example like we had two podcasts up even before pti came on but it's still like those guys yes. and they're still coming in and it's right before dinner and it's basically a 20 three minute show and it's just like, cool. I want to watch them at least do the first segment. And I, I don't feel like that's changed that much, but some of the other stuff has. And I just think in general and why I think I was really lucky to get into this model, you know, this network model when I did 
like Wilbon and Kornheiser, like, you know them now, but the reason you know them is there was a time where there, they, you got to know them because there was less competition. And, yeah. you know, that was very much, look, I, my whole career, the reason people know me is that I've been on NBC shows that people have watched. And I think, you know, it is more democratized now, but it is harder and harder to break out for people because there aren't those places where everybody goes. And so I think, you know, while, while PTI was a super novel format and and such a big part of its success is how the, the producers constructed it, it would be hard to do it without those two guys now. That's how I always feel. It, it's, yeah. And have you done the guest hosting that much or what happens when you just go to reruns when you're not doing it? We always just go to reruns. The guest yeah, host yeah. days, it's a, it's a shame the guest host days are. Uh, I, I remember talking to Steve Martin about because he guest hosted uh, The Tonight Show. Um, yeah. And, and and what a fascinating idea, not just to guest host, but to guest host a show that, you know, 20 oh, was like million. 20 million people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they used to have I mean, Chevy would host it and David Letterman. They would have the yeah. biggest stars. Burt Reynolds, they were the biggest stars of that era hosted it. I thought because I went away the last two years in the summer for five weeks. And I thought about having guest hosts. And. I, it just seemed weird to me. Like it's the Bill Simmons podcast. Here's your guest host. I, I just couldn't yeah. wrap my head around <laughs> it, but I did think about it. I did wonder like, all right, what would happen if we did this and just had different people? Maybe I'll do it next year. I don't know. Like Jimmy tried it. And uh, I, you know, I mean, you know, Kimmel now, especially cause you've yes. been working with them. And Kimmel's just openly rooting against every guest host not to do well. I don't, I don't know. He's so competitive. <laughs> but he's checking so the ratings to make sure that they got crushed. He's like, yes. He is the most, it's really, spending time with Kimmel has been such a gift because- Isn't it, isn't it something? Because he's so affable that it takes you a little bit of time to see where the hard edges are. Like, he, And then when you see him, it actually gives you great relief because you're like, <laughs> oh good, you're also human. Um, because he really is. And and let me just say, you know, obviously it's a podcast with five hosts. Um, yeah. But Jimmy is as just a human being. Jimmy is a host. You want to go to a party right. at his house. You want him to make you feel Yeah, he's fundamentally a host. Yeah. He's fundamentally in all facets. Yes. So it, it, it like he's the most natural person to have uh, one of these shows because he is so uh he just makes everybody feel good. So then yeah, it is it is fun when you realize that he also is mad at somebody and makes you so happy. <laughs> well, he's it was the perfect storm, right? Cuz he hadn't really been he hadn't done a show for like 4 months. Then yeah. you guys are trying to figure out this podcast. So then he takes control of that. But he also has more spare time than he normally has. So yeah. he's just like all in on every aspect. <laughs> it's like Belichick planning for the Cowboys. <laughs> I mean, we would never have done it without him. I should. Uh, I want to give you a shout out as well. One of the reasons, uh, you know, we were talking uh, this week is I, I wanted to thank you. I know you had a huge part uh, to getting Spotify uh, involved with the Strike Force 5. Thank you so much for that. But uh yeah, it was funny. At one point I realized, oh, uh, Jimmy's working on this way, way harder than the rest of us. And uh, it was it did not go unnoticed by us. Uh, well, in the early days, I was like, I, because I was trying to help him, but you can't really help Jimmy. He's got to come to his own conclusion and then ask you. Um, and I was like, do you maybe need a, like a project manager? Like somebody that can just be like the air traffic controller. It's like, I'm the project manager. I'm like, okay, all right, good. <laughs> What was that like to have all five? I mean, so it starts out with you guys are just doing Zooms during the strike. Yeah. Trying to just talk about the common 
issues, problems, things everybody's facing with their staffs. And yeah. then all of a sudden, at some point, everybody realizes like, oh, this would be really funny as a podcast. I think it was, yeah, it was a combination of dread that it was going on as long as it was. And we had joked early on that it would make a good podcast, but I sort of had my doubts because so much of what was funny on the Zooms was unairable to the public. Um, and Jimmy said, look, we have this really nice opportunity. It'll help out our staffs. And I think that was the tipping point for all of us to jump in and do it. I and you know the heartbreaking thing about it coming to a close is I do think they're getting better. I think we get better. I, I think I, well, I, well, they're both getting better, and we're, we're running out of questions to ask each other. But you know the crosstalk has gone down. Uh, there's a little bit more structure, and I'm going to say you know if you haven't listened, you certainly don't have to go back. But episode five is genuinely yeah, that was the best episode. It genuinely a special yeah. podcast episode where Fallon tries to host a newlywed style game, and it's just a shit show, and. We're just piling on Fallon for her, how poorly he's asked these questions to our wives. And he is such a good sport about it. And the yeah. only reason it worked, he, and I will, uh, I will just tell you, we, yesterday we recorded part two of the, uh, the newlywed game and it went equally as, as bad, which was, oh, good. we were very worried we wouldn't be able to replicate it, but it turns out it, it was, uh, it was also really fun. I am psyched how it turned out because five people on a podcast in five different places is just really hard. And you guys are like the most trained professionals possible. And it's still really hard because people are talking over each other. It's just like a bad experience for the listener and kind of people have to know when to lay in, lay out. Nobody can talk for too long. Like it's the ball's got to move around almost like a basketball team. Right. And there's so many ways it can go wrong. Yeah, I was describing it. I I described our first episode to someone as what if you had a football team that was all quarterbacks and no one could block, tackle, or catch? <laughs> right. But it has, I, we all found our roles. And uh, well, that's it the thing. Be, it's like you you each have to find like whatever yeah. your job is on the podcast. Like, all right, I guess I'm like the counterpuncher, wisecrack guy. And, and then yeah. it kind of goes. And somebody's got to be the air traffic controller at least a little bit. It's nice. I feel. Uh, I think that John Oliver and I kind of just um, kind of linger around the three point line. You know, we let we you let the other like guys take the force? doubles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the quarter. Um, yeah. All right. The real reason you're here is talk Steelers. Great. So I picked them to. Um, I, I'm be the, familiar. Be the one seed. I have wagers on them. Mm -hmm. I really like the spot they were in and. I think my instincts were right that it was an AFC North team, but now the more I'm looking at it, I think I, it might be the Browns. I'm not giving up on the Steelers, but the Browns are absolutely terrifying. I would not blame you for giving up on the Steelers. I am a little, I still have my doubts about Deshaun Watson, but I didn't watch the, you know, I, I watched him against the Steelers. I, I didn't watch him last week and it does seem like he, his numbers certainly look. He was good last week. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's the other problem with social media. I only saw his crazy backwards lateral play. And assume right. and you're like, oh, my was... God, what's he doing? Yeah. <laughs> he's forgotten. He's forgotten which direction is which. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know, I, I'm a little bit less. You know, I'm always bullish on the Steelers from an irrational place. I certainly wanted to see a little bit more of a of a leap from the offense. I there should be a German word for the dread you feel when every fans from other teams know your offensive coordinator's name. You know what oh, I mean? That's like, a great point. Like Matt yeah, you Canada. should never know the offensive candidate. Yeah, should he should never be anonymous. Know. You should know the guys who are the, you know, uh, the enemy, right? You should know the guy 
who's the name of the best offense in the league. But if other fans feel bad for you because you're your offensive coordinator, that is a terrible sign. And we have that right now with, with Matt Canada. I, you know, again, I'm, I'm a listener, Bill. And I do think you pointed out this week that we did play the Browns and the Niners and they are looking like really tough defenses. So with the, uh, with the coming games, I would, I think if we were going into the bye, three and two, I'll feel okay. But I do feel like we should be four and one if we really expect to be a, a, Super Bowl contender. Yeah, you handled so this week's interesting because you're playing this frisky Texans team. Yes. Right. Who can throw the ball. They've overachieved in these games, but it's a team like before the year. I had this as a W, right? Steelers. hundred percent. They're favored by three and a half. But I think before the year it would have been like Steelers by seven and a half. Yes. I'm a little concerned about the offense, not just the coordinator, but um I don't know. Najee Harris looks like he's got concrete sneakers on. And I just, the, the, there's a lack of explosive anything other than the if Pickens can have the 50 yarder. That's what worries me because like the first down stats are really bad for them. It hasn't been a lot of fun to watch, I will say. I, I wanted it right. to be a lot more. But the key thing is maybe those first two games just, oh man, we had bad draw. We had to play the Browns and the Niners. And then it's like, oh, and then you play. Last week, you're like, oh, maybe we can do some stuff. So I'm not giving up, but I do think the Browns might be the team in that division. We'll find out this week. I think that it's incumbent upon the Steelers' defense to make Stroud look as bad as the Niners and Browns' defense made Pickett look, right? Yeah. This is, are you, because again, this only works if the defense is good anyway, right? We were supposed to have a better offense and an excellent defense. An incredible so, defense, right. You know, I, I think what Stroud's done has been fantastic, and it's very exciting to have a new talent like that in the league, but he is a rookie quarterback, and historically, Tomlin has done very well against rookie quarterbacks, so. I still, I'm still in on Pickett. I think he's, uh, he's got a little moxie to him. I like how he'll, he'll run every once in a while. He'll take off for like 20 yards. Um, I'm still betting on the, inf- I think they're going to be a playoff team but I don't know if they can pull up the division. Did you think during the strike you were going to just watch a ton of Red Sox games? Like, this would be great. Get to spend more time with my baseball team. Can't wait to watch the... Oh, wait, there's nobody on the team. It dovetailed uh, pretty poorly with uh, free time. Having uh, extra free time and the direction of the team. Uh, Yeah, you know, again, I I have reached a place where I know that um, I have house money now after, um, you know, that tenure period of time we had yeah. but it, it was it just it just is it just feels empty when these games mean nothing i've never been able to reconcile the mookie trade it's and crazy. i thought it would get better and and now they're gonna be in the playoffs again and you walk around la and it's kobe jerseys and mookie jerseys and that's it yeah and it, it's just it's 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 not awesome what else did you do during the strike anything fun spend time with what the else? fam I did spend a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with the fam and they're good fam. We had a a excellent summer. I don't love being outside and on the beach, but we were outside and on the beach a lot. And at this point, I just go where my kids want me to go. And uh, that was that was like I started a podcast with my brother. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I I can't believe. Why did it take till 2023 to you for you to have a podcast with your brother? And when I am I invited on? What the hell? Oh, my God. We would love to have you on. Now, uh, we recently had Kimmel on. He pointed out the one reason that we probably hesitated having a podcast together is we sound identical. And it's almost hard to know which one of us is talking. And then my brother very unkindly said, because I know this is a burn. He said, the way to tell is if you're telling a story about Lauren Michaels, it's not me. 
And I was, I thought it was very, very unkind of my brother to say. But, um, you know, I, I look, I really enjoy podcasting is a lot of fun. Getting a podcast off the ground yeah, is that very easy. stressful. And yeah. so I, I do, while I can't believe it took this long to do it, I understand that having this window of time was the right time to actually figure out what we we're going to do. So that's Family Trips to the well, Myers can you ex Brothers. Yeah, explain the podcast for 10 seconds. Yeah, Family Trips to the Myers Brothers. We talk to people, you know, celebrities about the trips they took as kids and the trips they take with their families now. It's very, it's nice. It's easy listening. It's funny or not funny, but, you know, of course, most celebrities uh, today, um, took really shitty trips as kids, right? Like so few of them were wealthy children and right. that. So it's very, uh, it's a, it's a real like stars were just like us when they were kids going to Florida by car. So Kimmel could come on like seven times on that podcast. Like he could be here. Yeah. Kimmel, <laughs> Kimmel had a lot to say and I feel like we cut him off. <laughs> uh, all right. So your show's come back Monday. Yeah, we're going to do an hour long, hour long closer look the first night. No guests. We're just going to catch up. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're going to we're just going to let it rip. What was the topic that you felt like the most upset that you missed out on during the five months? I know this is, you know, uh, get my mind out of the gutter. Uh, the uh, Congressman Boebert's behavior at the Beetlejuice musical. Yeah. And uh, just the quality of the security camera footage uh, was was shocking to me. Yeah, that was that was good late night fodder. There was a few things over the five months where I was like, oh, that would have been a good one. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, mm -hmm. we do live in a time where nothing that happened in the last five months will matter because the next five months will sadly make it seem like a very a time of great, great calm and and restfulness. How did you feel about Mike Sure becoming the wolf of wolf from Pulp Fiction during the writer's strike? Well, this is, this is such did, a good you, was he wearing a tuxedo in the last, last two weeks? What was what was he dressed like? Well, you know, so again, Mike Sher, one of my oldest friends, and uh, he was on the negotiating committee. And I have a question. I never quite knew what was a fair amount to ask him, right? You have a friend in the room. You're yeah. deeply curious. But you also, you have to imagine he's getting texts from about 100 people at a time. Yeah. So I would do a very sly thing where I would uh, send him, uh, you know, the results from my latest Immaculate Grid and then say, you know, <laughs> how'd you do today? And he's right. And then, you know, and like the seventh back and forth, I'd be like, how's it going in the room? <laughs> you know what a lunatic he is? He only he only allows five minutes for Immaculate Grid. Yeah. Like, that's how disciplined he is. He's a man of great. I discipline. had to stop using it because um, I would just I, I would just spend like a half hour trying to figure out who from the 70s was on the Buffalo Braves and the Cleveland Cavaliers at the same time. And I was like, I, I know I can get this. And I was like, this is not healthy. Doesn't it break your heart knowing there was a five-year period where you just would have crushed Immaculate Grid? Oh, yeah. No oh, day. Early 30s? No days. Yeah. Yeah, early or 30s, it would have crushed the, it. My baseball card years. I feel like even that. Yeah. Like when I was 14. I still love it. I think they should put a clock on it, though. I think... I actually yeah. think it would be more interesting if it was like you have five minutes to figure out these nine things and yeah, because then you'd have to take more guesses and stuff like that. All right. Seth Myers, you're going to be uh, you're doing some comedy this weekend. I'm doing I'm doing a parents weekend at University of Rhode Island on, um, oh. on Saturday night. How about that? Oh, fun for you. Uh, great to see you. I'm a, this is like 15 years for us podcasting. I know we got to do it again soon. Yeah. Yeah. Strike Force five. How many episodes left? 
I think uh, three to air. You know, we doing one, we did one with Letterman. Did you hear that? Oh, you I'm aware. That? Yeah, I'm aware. Uh, I, I think stuff. that drops. Uh, that that's going to drop either uh, today or tomorrow. But um, and then uh, three to go, twelve total. All right. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Seth Myers and Ben Thompson. Thanks to Isaiah Blakely for producing today. Thanks to Kyle Creighton and Steve Cerruti as well. I will see you on Sunday night with the cuz following Cowboys, Patriots. You know something's going to happen. Have a great weekend. Go Emerson. Go Harvard Westlake. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. You can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code SIMMONS for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.